Go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. And what do you see? You see groups of different people working to bring about change to their communities. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. And their problems looked different than ours. But in every era, there were groups of people for whom making positive change was their life goal. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, aims to bring those groups to light. We'll play you selections from the Civil Rights Heritage Center's Oral History Archival Collection with the goal of telling you the entirety of the history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. At the age of 16, Ruth Tolchinsky fled Nazi Germany. She was a young Jewish woman living in the shadows of the Holocaust, and fortunately, she and members of her immediate family managed to escape. They came to New York, but her father didn't want to live there. An agency that worked with Jewish refugees recommended the Midwest and offered him two options, Muncie or South Bend. He didn't like Muncie, so he brought his family here. Ruth had experienced life in Hitler's Germany, but did not expect to see elements of it here. Yet, she did. The divisions between white and black were eerily similar to those she saw between Jews and non-Jews back in Germany. In 1944, she met and married South Bend native Maurice Tolchinsky, Maury for short. He too saw and fought against the racial divisions here. Maury became a white ally in the fight to integrate the Engman Public Natatorium, speaking in front of the South Bend Common Council alongside lawyers Jay Chester and Elizabeth Fletcher Allen, Zilford Carter, and Charles Wills. In 2008, Ruth sat down with interviewers from the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center. Ruth read items from a memory book she created, including what she calls the Natatorium Incident. There's a link to it in the description of this episode. Here's Ruth telling her life story. August 5th, 2008. Um, Today we are conducting an interview for the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center Oral History Project. Um, Today's interview is with Mrs. Tolchinsky. The interview is regarding her involvement and her husband's involvement um, in the desegregation of the natatorium in South Bend. And the process of of uh, first of all desegregating and then integrating the natatorium began in far as we know in 1931 the first effort was a petition in 1931 with jay chester allen and uh, some other uh, uh i think charles wills at the charles time wills that's right and um Zilford carter possibly yes. was the other one mm-hmm. uh for quite a long time as you know it's been derelict and uh, various groups have fought to keep it from being torn down and um, and I have I, this. looks intimidating. I know <laughs> it looks well. It looks uh, like you're very well sure yeah, yeah, I just there wanted is. to show you a few pages from each, and have a, a few comments to make. And you will read much of what you know. And I don't know. I hope maybe you will see something. Uh, that's of value to you. Well, I'm sure there'll be a great deal more than we know. Uh, and I feel that there's no way I can look at what the incident of the natatorium, the Cold War, the uh, uh, existing racial and uh, social and 
philosophical. Uh, it's more than distance, really. It was a opposition and, and at times really hatred of one another. The divisions were just, just tremendous. And I think that the natatorium incident altogether fits right into that picture of rising McCarthyism. And I personally can't separate the historical aspects from what took place with the natatorium, how long it took before any action was taken. And uh, so I, I just want to take, uh, talk a little bit about that. I only have one or two pages, if you want to, to show you here. My daughter had given me this little book when I was 78. If I make it through this month, I'll be 87. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, it had some questions to answer. And I looked at the book and I thought, there's no way I can deal with my life story in, in, in this. Uh, so I called it my guide to what became my project. There's a chest full of stuff there. There's other stuff. There are three albums. This is one. I have some things to show you. This is the obituary of Morris Tolchensky. I thought you might like to see a picture of him. This was in younger years, and this was later. Uh, it's followed by a uh, eulogy of uh, Mark Tolchinsky, of his father, and Mark and Nan's son, Peter, gave the eulogy about uh, Mark, about his father, uh, kind of based on what he heard his father say. Uh, Shall we, shall we just go on and do and well, Please do, yes. You just, uh, and if you don't mind, we could ask you questions. Oh, anytime. Uh, but, but you, you go if ahead. You, yeah. If you've heard enough, just say it's enough. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah. And this is essentially the only thing in this book that I wanted to bring out. Uh, it has many other things, some relating to the family, some to uh, religiously oriented matters. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I am Jewish. I lived in Germany, and I came here at the age of 16. I had my 16th birthday here. But but your husband, I just, the very first thing I saw was a life, it was born here. Oh, yes. So he, he was a lifelong resident. You, you met him here. Oh, or, yes. Uh, in 1944, uh -huh. and we were married in 1944. All so, right. What brought you to South Bend? Hitler. Okay. I brought you to the United States, but but, but why South Bend? <laughs> well, that's another story. Okay. Uh, I'll just briefly say my father was a physician. Uh, he didn't want to live in New York, and he, a Jewish agency had recommended uh, the Midwest and thought that Indiana would be a good place, and they recommended two cities, Muncie and South Bend. He didn't like Muncie. He came to South Bend, and I don't know how long you've lived here. Since 1971. Since 19. Did you, uh, was Robertson still? Oh, yes. Okay. The owner or co-owner of Robertson was Will Welber. Right. And he was a philanthropist, and my dad contacted him, and then he convinced him to stay overnight and introduced him, and the rest is history. All right. Here's one paragraph I'd like to read to you, and just three lines over here. 
and it's, I gave it the heading, The Effects of the Cold War. Um, earlier in my life story, I referred to Yuri Sewell, editor of They Fought Back in connection with Jewish resistance during the Nazi period. In a conversation I had with Maury recently, he reminded me of our meeting with Yuri Sewell at 705 West Wayne, that was our home, while he was on a promotional tour to South Bend for the book. It took us back to the political climate of the mid to late 40s. We recalled it as a period of intimidation, fear, and guilt by association. That was the rule of the day, even more so in the late 40s and early 50s. The natatorium incident, the FBI visitors confronting us about reading material that came through the mail to our home, were early signs of intimidation and harassment that touched us personally. And I have uh, a reference here to an article, What Goes Around Comes Around. I'm quite sure that you may remember that. I don't, I don't know the article. I certainly know that. I have it. Okay. So I'll uh, see. And in it, I also <clears throat> have a paragraph, I'll just summarize it, uh, that concerned uh, the uh, appeal for clemency for the Rosenbergs, which almost followed directly after the natatorium incident. And uh, Chief Justice uh, Felix Frankfurter said, um, to be writing an opinion in a case affecting two lives after the curtain has been rung down upon them has the appearance of pathetic futility and in capitalized uh, letters. But history also has its claim. That statement that history also has its claim was probably one of the main reasons for writing my life story. People must know about the mass murders of the Nazi era. They must also know about miscarriages of justice. They should also know how voices of opposition have been dealt with. And in the book that I have, goes on on the Rosenbergs, I'm continuing with what goes around, comes around, which concerns uh, um, the natatorium. Those details concern some of the practices and problems which arose and also deal with Moore's involvement with the natatorium in the 1940s. <clears throat> a colleague of Moore's one day came to the house, I, I mentioned the name a little later, um, a colleague of Moore's one day came to the house on West Wayne Street to ask Moore if he would appear with him and two other NAACP members to represent the organization in requesting the right of blacks to make use of the natatorium. Apparently, a group of parents was outraged that their children were not allowed to enter the natatorium to swim together with a few white children. The three men, there were four men there. I met uh, one, I have, don't remember the name. The, there were three men who spoke. The first man spoke very uh, short, very briefly, uh, that was in uh, 1950 when they appeared before the park board. I'll come to that. Uh, you were there at the park board meeting too? I was just in the audience. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was uh, not a participant. I'll, I'll read this and I'll, you'll know uh, how it all fits in. The three men presented their request and the two attorneys, it was Jay Chester, I'll check to us, um, argued the case on legal, judicial, and constitutional grounds. 
after Maury had finished his argument, I, I attended that meeting because I was curious to see how the presentation would go. You know. um, this was in 1950 already, so yeah. times were, what shall we say, challenging. After Maury had finished his argument, one of the park board members raised the following question. The query may not be verbatim, but the gist is clear, in parenthesis. I can understand why the two colored men are here before the board, but what are you, a white man, doing here representing the NAACP? The board members afterthought, quote, that smacks of communism to me, unquote. Attorney Chester, called Chet Allen's retort was, you don't have to be a communist to defend equal rights, opportunities, and treatment for all people under the law. The Constitution and Bill of Rights mandate it, unquote. Not too long after the natatorium incident, Maury had some visitors drop in on our home, quote, just to talk a bit, unquote. They identified themselves after a while as FBI men who just wanted more to give them some names of the white persons with whom he had attended the Teamsters Union meeting and the last ones of the NAACP meetings as well as several others. They had previously gone to the prosecutor, Maury was a deputy prosecutor, they had previously gone to the prosecutor to question him about Maury's choice of reading material that had been coming to our house in the parentheses, such as The Nation, The New Republic, and Manchester Guardian, and some daily newspapers. The fact that he also got the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune did not seem to counterbalance that. Why even read communist propaganda unless you want some communist leanings reinforced? That was their thinking. Uh, these uh, publications were blacklisted during McCarthyism. I mentioned to you one personal episode. I want to read it because I think it fits in, and then I'll show you the actual material, okay? Be great. Um, it did not take long for the men to realize that they had knocked on the wrong door. Naming people and thereby cooperating with the FBI was not a role Boris M. Tolchinsky would play. The period of intimidation, naming of left-wing persons, groups, organizations, and blacklisting of organizations and their policies were well on the way. How do you account for your and your husband's um, interest, not interest really, commitment, because you're taking a lot of risks here, um, commitment to issues like civil rights, civil liberties, how would you explain uh, putting yourself in that position at that time? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I think that the I lived in under Nazi rule from January 33 to September 37, and the you know we, the um, many of the uh, Nuremberg laws had already been passed. There were many more that came afterwards, and the life was uh, pretty intolerable. I certainly uh, knew what discrimination was like. Um, so when I came to the States, you know, I thought that, oh, none of that would be, that I would encounter any of that. Yeah. 
And then, uh, you know, as I lived here, and uh, this, I came here uh, in 37, and then there was World War II, and, uh, you know, the fact that the Americans had black divisions uh, in the army and, and so on. Uh, and I started reading and uh, learning about some of those things, and then after we were, I, Maury and I had a lot of common ideas right from the start. Uh, we met and we were married within three months because uh, there was just that kind of a connection and different directions, but uh, politically and socially speaking, we certainly were in harmony. Yeah, and so... Did he have his... Did his uh, family here have any background in issues his like this? His parents, well, yes. Uh, his parents came from, um, uh, well, they, at times it was Russia, at times it became Poland. It was this area, you know, in that, of the so-called Eastern Jewish uh, population. And of course, there were pogroms there, you know. And, whether you call them pogroms or you call them riots, you know, and you can give them any in any yeah. name. It's, uh, uh, but I think at that time, uh, when Chet was ready to say we're going to take legal action now, which was in 1950, and before he had talked with Maury about it already, and he, uh, knowing the atmosphere the, of the times, uh, I'm sure, I'm assuming, shall we say, that Chet said, now, I should have a white lawyer there with me, and who among the white lawyers could I ask where I could be certain that he would say, yes, he would represent him. Was your husband in practice on his own, or do you have a partner? Or? No, he was on his own. He practiced for 60 years. South Bend's Own Words is made possible by executive producer Kevin Tidmarsh and me, George Garner. Want to see and hear more about South Bend's history? Our archival collection is online at Michiana Memory, a partnership with the St. Joseph County Public Library. Go to michianamemory.sjcpl.org. Special thanks to Civil Rights Heritage Center director Daryl Heller for his guidance and support for this project. Learn more about the center and how it changed a formerly segregated South Bend swimming pool into an active learning center dedicated to sharing the history and contemporary issues around civil rights and social justice. Visit us in person or online at crhc.iusb.edu.